Well, it's begun. The season of Advent or Christmas or however you want to say it. Um, I have a little comic for us to look at here as we get started. I don't know if you've been experiencing this, but there's October where you got Halloween and then Thanksgiving. And then if you can see, the, the Christmas car is swerving over into the lane. And it feels like they're all getting crowded together. Um, and it kind of feels that way in the beginning. And here it is. We just finished Thanksgiving. And now we're jumping in to this next season. Um, and it says, stay in your lane. Uh, because, you know, it's a little overwhelming to capture that all at once. Um, but here we are. Yes, we're starting. We're starting to talk about the advent of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, the Christmas season. And um, so get ready. Now, there's a lot of different ways that we think about this. We think about um, a lot of different things that happen. And one of the questions that I would have for us is, you know, what do you expect in this season? What is this season for? And we have a lot of different ways of approaching it. Some of us dive headlong into all of the, um, the, the, the holiday parts that come with it. You know, we want the biggest Christmas tree. We want all the lights around the house. We want to do it all. We want to have a Christmas party, invite everybody over. And then others of us want to dial it back and just, you know, we don't want to be associated with those things that have to do with maybe the holiday aspects. We like to think about Jesus. And, and I just want to remind us that we have freedom in this. We have freedom to kind of take the cultural things and fill them with Christ, or we have freedom to dial it back and go slow. And as we're in community together and we're in home groups and different people have different approaches, we have freedom in Christ to kind of celebrate, to walk through the season in the way that feels right and best to each one of us. And so let's extend that grace and that freedom one to another. Um, but what I also have a goal and a hope for us in this season, for us as individuals and as a community. And it has to do with really what the Christmas story, what the Advent story is about, which is the coming of God into the world. And, and my hope and my prayer for us, for every single one of us, individually and collectively, because it works both ways, is for us to enlarge our capacity, okay, to enlarge our capacity to know God to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be like Jesus Christ. That's my goal. That's my hope for us during this season. And so we've got this new series that we're launching today, The Unexpected Blessing and the Coming of Jesus, and we're going to have different voices talking about some of the different people around the time of the birth of Jesus and what they represented and what it was like for them to come near to Jesus, what it was like for them to have their hearts expanded so they had more capacity to know God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so that's my prayer for us over this next season. And we're going to jump right in with the first part. We're really going to kind of dig into the center of it today. So open your book, your Bible, to Luke chapter 2. Um, it's on page 500 in the Bible that we hand out. Love for you to have that Bible uh, in your hand so you could follow along. Page 500, Luke chapter 2. We're just going to be reading verses 1 through 7. And then I'm going to share some reflections about some of the things that are taking place in this little passage. We'll kind of go to another passage as well that gives us a little bit of the backstory of it. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This will be familiar to many of you, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. 
And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Why? Because there was no place for them in the inn. Just that little snippet of the Advent story. Um, Let's spend some time this morning thinking about the implications of it for our lives. And I I really hope that as we do this, um, you're going to walk away this morning with some clarity around what does it really mean to open, open myself, open my soul, open my heart to the infilling of the Spirit, to the presence of God in my life. And what I'd like to do is, because we're in this time of moving, I want to make a couple of smaller points, kind of shepherding us through the transition to the El Cerrito campus with some things that come from this text. Uh, And then I want to spend the, the last point, the third point, on this idea of enlarging our hearts. And in particular, we're going to drill into the concept of humility because we see this in the, in the life of Mary in some special ways. But first, a couple of uh, smaller points about this move that we're facing in two weeks um, to go to the El Cerrito campus and how are we going to do that together? You know, like this is all of us, you know, making a big step and, and we, want to, we, want to, we want to do it well. We want to be present to what God is doing in the middle of this because we believe that this is the Lord's doing. And we want to love one another well, and we want to be really open to the opportunities that change brings, whether that be for us relationally. Um, I think Miguel was, was telling me it was like 130 work hours a week or something in, in doing, was that right, set up and tear down, something like that? Something, maybe less than that. I might be exaggerating a little bit less. But anyway, it's a lot of work hours when you think about all that goes into it. So what do we do with those hours that we're saving? Many of them. We're still going to have to do some things, but we're saving some of those hours, right? That's potential. That's opportunity. We want to be awake to the Lord's leading in the middle of all of that. Um, and we, and we, and we, want, to, we want to see what are the, the opportunities that God's bringing for us to um, be present in El Cerrito where maybe there hasn't been a presence of the gospel in this way um, to reach out to the community that's there. So all of that is, is there. Um, and we want to think about our future next steps as a church. What does it mean for us um, in, in, in where we're headed next? And so let me just make a couple of comments related to a couple of things in this text around that. And then I want to talk about being ready for the presence of God. So the first one is, is this whole idea of Mary traveling while she's pregnant, right? So she's very pregnant, obviously, because she's eight months, nine months along, and, and she's got to make this long, arduous journey to Bethlehem. And uh, that's kind of like us, in a sense. Now, this, we've been saying this, uh, and, uh, and, and Miguel and, and others were telling me, as they were talking about this, this particular text, this idea that we, in a sense, are traveling while, while pregnant. Now, why would we say that? Because... Um, on one level, we know that we may not, unless we have some attrition, we may not fit on some Sundays into the new building where we're going with two services. 
And so we may have some overflow space there that we use. Um, but, but we're wondering if that means that God is saying, okay, it's time for you to start something additional, to make more space, okay? And we also know that there are many of us in the community who are coming from the south. And so it's a little bit further drive for you to come to El Cerrito. And so we're wondering, is there something, Lord, that you want to do with those who are coming from the south for us to be able to be closer to that group? And so we're just sort of, we're just wondering around, and we're praying about all of this. And and I just want to say, for any of you who have a, a challenge making it to El Cerrito, I want to make sure that that's not a problem for you. Whether this is an interim time or a longer time, I want to make sure that it's not a challenge for you to get there. So if after, you know, Ryan is going, to, is going to take care of rides for the college students, we've got a plan for that. So none of you college students should be worried about that. But then, uh, in addition to that, if there are others of you, let's have a conversation and maybe we can organize rides and stuff. So I want to make sure that nobody feels like they just say, well, I can't get there, and so forget it. I'm just going to, going to let it go. Um, so after the 15th anniversary, which is a beautiful celebration, Jody and I, my wife Jody and I, went out to lunch, and we were having a conversation, and we were asking, so are we pregnant? Not us, but as a church, are we, are we pregnant? Um, are we pregnant? Um, are we ready to multiply? And it's really interesting. We have sort of, we come at this from, from two different sides. You know, my wife made this really great point. She said that, you know, over the season that we have been here, the 15 years, we have had a turnover rate of like 20 to 30%, sometimes up to 30% in a year. Now, the average for a church is probably more like 10% or less. But when you find a church in an urban setting, especially around a college campus, you're going to have a much higher turnover rate than you would in other places. In fact, this is why our church unleashed, a big part of our church unleashed vision is to, is to capitalize on that short window of time that we have to really train people up and send them out. We've got people all over the world. And so she was making the point that haven't we multiplied like many times when you consider you know, the, that high turnover rate. And, you know, my wife grew up in Berkeley. She went to Berkeley High. Guess how many people there were in Young Life in Berkeley High when she was in it in the 80s? One. Just her. She was the only person in Young Life. So she's kind of lived in this, this setting, um, and then she's been the wife of a church planter, you know, and so she's always been sort of pressing uh, against it. And so for her to have a church like, like ours, our size, where we're getting more and more people and sort of like, you know, the giftedness of all the different people and the stability and the youth group blossoming. So she comes from the side of, you know, I want to be careful that we nurture that and cherish that because it's a special, that's a special part of who we are. And that goes into the question. Now, I come from the side where, you know, I tend to be let's take the next hill kind of person in general. And so I want to press out and say, well, no, we can multiply uh, into another campus, maybe to the south, to be able to reach some in the afternoon on Sunday. And so even in my own little marriage, we're having this dialogue, right? So then multiply that times the whole congregation, and we're wondering what's next. And, and, and I think what I have learned, though, is that, and somebody, um, um, Monica uh, actually pointed this out, you know, and this is something that I believe very true, and this, this scripture verse, that unless the Lord builds the house laborers work in vain, right? We need to wait on the Lord to give us direction and guidance in our next step. And so we don't know what the answer to the question is. You know, we, don't, we don't know if we're like Mary on the way to Bethlehem. 
We don't know how that's going to all unfold, but that's okay. That's okay. There's something sweet about waiting on the Lord for the next steps. Maybe maybe it's about enlarging our hearts for the next move, which which kind of gets me to the, the second comment I wanted to make about shepherding us through this move. We want to go prayerfully and waiting on the Lord for him to give us the next steps. We want to, we want to move into this new campus really well uh, to embrace the opportunities that are there, to just put our focused attention on doing this well, and then to see what the Lord has for us next. But the other thing I want to point out is, it, isn't it interesting that Jesus comes and he's placed in the manger because there's no room in the inn. So here you have the very Son of God, right? God incarnate entering into the world. And where does he end up? Because there's no room for him in the world. Now, we've experienced a little bit of that sense of there's no room. As we've looked around, you know, in this area for buildings, and we have this building is going to be uh, reconstructed, and so we have to get out of here. There's no room for us anymore in this place. Now, I wouldn't say that the El Cerrito campus is like a manger. It's not humble like that. It's a, it's a very wonderful building, and so we're so blessed to be able to go to El Cerrito and have a place to worship. But the point I want to make is this. In all of this moving, let's remember that the most important thing is not the external structure, the building that we're in. It's what's happening inside of it. It's what's happening inside of it. Okay? It's what's happening in the lives of the people. It wasn't, you know, God didn't need a cathedral to enter into the world. All it took was a manger because it's not the external structure. It's the presence of God on the inside. And that holds true for wherever we are, whether we're in this place or we're on the El Cerrito campus or when we're in our homes. And, and some of us feel uh, like, you know, I don't want to have people over because my home is humble and it's messy, and, and I feel self-conscious about it. You know what? It doesn't matter. What matters is the spirit and the life that's inside of it. And I want to hold us to really focusing on that as we go into this next season. It's so interesting because, you know, when we get the message that we have to move out of here, there's a lot of energy and excitement and enthusiasm, and that's great to get that building ready, right? Because there's a lot of work that has to be done and, and I'm so thankful for our facilities team, which is leading the way, and they're putting in hours. People like Dave Monk's putting hours, and Miguel's been putting in hours, and um, Todd's been putting in hours, and Pastor Dante and others putting in hours. And, and we're just trying to get it right to, to make it look as best as we can in the short time frame that we have to get there. But hey, when it comes to loving our neighbors, let's make sure we put in the same intentionality and effort, right, into loving God. Because at the end of the day, that's what makes a church thrive. It's not the external, but what's happening inside. Are the people sold out for Jesus? Right? Are they loving the Lord? So, so let's remember that as we, as we think about this move. What's most important is, is, is that God is present with us in this place. And so that's what I want to talk about a little bit. What does it mean to have God present with us. Now, we know God's always present. Um, but there's also in Scripture this kind of uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit that happens at certain times. And in this case, in the story of Mary, um, she ends up becoming pregnant with, with God. It's remarkable to consider. She is, she is filled 
with the person of Jesus Christ. And then the manger, this humble structure, ends up holding the baby Jesus. Um, And then when Jesus comes and lives, offers himself an atoning sacrifice, before he, he goes away, he says, I'm giving you my spirit. So the spirit is the extension of Jesus Christ into the world. And the Spirit moves within the people of God, and there are, there are seasons of movement, and sometimes there's an outpouring of the Spirit to come alongside the people of God and empower them for the, the work that they're called to do. And in some way, we have a role, humble as it is, in opening ourselves to receive the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. And so what does it mean? If, we're, if, if the important thing is that God be present with us in this, wherever we go, it doesn't matter the structure, it matters the presence of God and the people of God. If that's what really matters, how do we open ourselves to the filling of God by his spirit? We've, we've had two sermons by two guests over the last two weeks, and both of them drilled deeply into this sub. That was one of the key things that came up over and over again was the the presence of the Spirit in the people of God. This is is what we need. I was out um, surfing this week because uh, Gabriel is learning how to surf and he kept badgering me to get out in the water even though it's like 10 degrees, right? And so we got all the gear and stuff. And so on Friday, I'm sitting out in the water and I'm, I'm... thinking, because you get lots of time to sit out there waiting between sets for the wave to come, um, and, and I'm thinking about catching a wave, and I was thinking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and I would say that, that probably, um, probably in the physical realm, one of the things that most feels to me like those moments when I've been filled with the Holy Spirit is the catching of a wave. There's something about this force which is awesome. I mean, thousands of miles, these waves are coming across the ocean. And when they get to the shore, because it gets shallower, they, they pop up. And it's this, it's this all-by-itself thing, and it's, it's so powerful. And there's this moment when you're paddling, 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 and you're in your own strength, and you're straining, you're struggling. And all of a sudden, you feel like... It's like this force just lifting you, and, and you don't have to paddle anymore because it's carrying you. And the, the energy of it is propelling you forward, and you stand up, and, and you don't get to control the situation because it, it does what it wants. It breaks how it wants, and you're just reacting to it, and you're trying to sort of harness the energy that is coming from this wave. And when, we, when, when a church, when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, It's like that times a million, right? It's so much better even than that. That's an incredible feeling, and that's why people get addicted to it, and they go when it's like 40 degrees out into the water. But so much better is the filling of the Holy Spirit, and and, and you want that. You begin to hunger for it more and more um, to be able to ride, to catch the movement of the Spirit around you and in you and through you, and then to be able to, 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 to react to it and to, you know, you have these moments where you say things to people that you, 
you didn't realize they needed to hear, but the Holy Spirit was moving in you, and you ministered to them in a powerful way. It was exactly what they needed to know. Because God is, that, we, this is the kind of church we want to be, right? Filled with the Holy Spirit. So what lessons can we learn from Mary, who's filled with God, and who gives us the way, the preparation to be filled with God? What can we learn from Mary? So the key is in chapter 1. If you turn back, look in chapter 46, excuse me, verse 46. When Mary is sort of, this is called, you know, the Magnificat. It's her song of praise when she finds out that she's going to be carrying the baby Jesus. And in it are some clues to what it means to be filled with God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. So you see the enlargement there, but not of self, of the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. If you underline words, underline humble estate, it may be servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. So the opposite of humble is proud. And the proud are scattered. They don't have the experience of the humble. We see, if we had time, we could go all throughout Scripture. We'd see this over and over again. That God opposes the proud, but he's for the humble. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. I don't have time to do a full exegesis on that passage, but I do want to call out that word, that phrase, humble estate, which happens a a couple of times. And if we fast forward and look into the life of Jesus, you'll see that as Jesus grows up and takes on his ministry, he does it with phenomenal humility as well. In fact, let me pull out a few quotes. I think these are King James. I pulled this from a a book that I I like to read. Um, So just you have to get through the, the, the quote. But it says, the son, this is what Jesus says of himself, okay? The son can do nothing of himself. I can of my own self do nothing. My judgment is just because I seek not mine own will. So we sang the song about God being the I am. Jesus is like the I am not. He says, I mean, he, in his humanity, he opens himself to the filling of the Father. I receive not glory from men. I come not to do mine own will. My teaching is not mine. This is Jesus saying these things, okay? If Jesus says this, how much more us? I am not come of myself. I do nothing of myself. I have not come of myself, but he sent me. I seek not mine own glory. 
The words that I say, I speak not from myself. The word which you hear is not mine. Okay? That's Jesus. That's humili- the humility of Jesus. And it's reflected in the person of Mary as she awaits the coming of God. And it's a call for us. In fact, I've got time to put up a couple more quotes on this. I don't want to overburden you with quotes. But, you know, some great Christian thinkers have have said some powerful things about humility. C.S. Lewis said, humility is the center of all Christian morals. Jonathan Edwards, the pleasures of humility are really the most refined, inward and exquisite delights in the world. The freedom that comes with humility is amazing. Okay, the next one. Uh, At every stage of our Christian development, in every sphere, this is John Stott, of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. And John Wesley, true humility is a kind of self-annihilation, and this is the center of all virtues. So we're on to something here when we start talking about humility. This is, in fact, one of my favorite subjects, and I have made a study of it for much of my Christian life. Um, and I still can't define it, I will say. I sat down, I thought, you know, I'm gonna, let, me, let me write the, the final definition of humility. And I can't, I can't do it. Because it's just this huge concept. It's, it's massive. It's wonderful. I'll tell you this, though. The word means, in its original, both in Greek and Hebrew, the words that we translate as humility have to do with lowness. Taking the low position. So metaphorically, it's taking the low place. And the words are often associated with, weak, with weakness and with emptiness. Okay? Jesus emptied himself of his divinity, in a sense, even though he was still divine, to live as a human being, taking on human characteristics. And so humility is an emptying. We could spend a lot of time thinking about the definition of humility, and maybe someday stick with us, church, and maybe someday I'll come up with a really good definition of humility. But um, we know it. I do know this. We know it when we see it, right? We know humility when we see it in a person. There's something very attractive, very, very much um, magnetic about a humble person. It seems right and good and true, like how humans are supposed to be. Um, There's an Andrew Murray quote I want to share with you. Um, It says this, Just as water ever seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God finds the creature abased and empty, his glory and power flow in to exalt and to bless. He that humbleth himself, that must be our one care, shall be exalted. That is God's care. By his mighty power and in his great love, he will do it. And I've experienced that to be true so many times when I was at my lowest, most humble point and I thought all was lost. That is when God often moves in and brings an exaltation that's not of myself, that's of the Lord, that, that, that brings him glory. And so what does it mean to to seek to, to get into the low place, to be empty, so that just as water you know, could, fills the low place, that the, the Spirit could fill us. What does it mean to go into that, that place of lowness? And this has been a study of mine uh, in my life, and I, I get so, I'm so frustrated with how bad I am at this. I really am. That I could know how sweet and good humility is, and then forget it over and over again. And then I come back to it, and I, I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, we have a dog, and the dog forgets, like, how good P 
people are, it seems like, and food is, so that every time you put out the bowl of food or every time you come home, it's like, oh, yeah, you're here. This is great. Like, it's the newest thing, you know? The enthusiasm and excitement is just crazy. Our daughter came home last night, and the dog was going nuts, just running around the house, you know? Um, And I'm like that with humility. I forget for a while, and then humility walks back in the door, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the way I'm supposed to live. I love this. It feels so good to seek the low place. So I get frustrated with myself. I'm not alone. I'm thankful that people, I think it was C.S. Lewis said essentially the same thing. He wished he had gotten a lot further in the, in the understanding and the discipline of humility because he knew the power of it. He knew the central uh, place of humility in our walk with Jesus and the filling of the Spirit. So I'm sitting out uh, in the water on Friday and I'm thinking about being filled with the Spirit, and I'm thinking about what, what helps you to be filled with the Spirit, and then I was like, oh, yeah, humility, right? And so I'm sitting there thinking about this, and I thought, well, okay, what I need to really drill into is to figure out how, what induces humility, because I keep forgetting. What is it that induces humility so that I can be the low place so that the filling, the water of the Holy Spirit can fill me. And so I was sitting in the water thinking about like all the different things that induce humility. And I came home and I started writing out a list and it was like, you know, 47 things that induce humility. And I thought, how am I going to preach 47 things that induce humility? I got to break this down. And I need to break it down for myself because I want to think about this more frequently I want to be able to say, oh, yeah, Andrew, check yourself. You're losing sight of the low place. Get back in the low place. That happens to me. I'm like, but I don't know how. And at the end of the day, this is a thing that God does. He shepherds our souls. So he has to do it. But can we cooperate with God a little bit in the process, right? And how do we do that? And so finally, I, w- I was started thinking about all different kinds of things and and I got into this concept of, of, of some prepositions. And, I, you know, the prepositions are the little words like, of, to, from, about. I started thinking about this. Maybe there's something in here. And here's what I came up with. And this may bless a couple of you. I don't know. Maybe one of you will get, this will be helpful to you. But this was helpful. And over the last couple of days, I've been, I've been reflecting on this. This helps me to, to, to get in the low place. I mean, God, it's, God, it's a work of God, but I can cooperate with him. Simply to say this. I do not exist of myself, for myself, or by myself. Now, what that means is that I didn't create me, okay? I'm a creature of God. God made me. And there's something about that that begins to move me into the low place already. I don't own who I am, the dynamics of my personality. I'm not in control of all that. A lot of the stuff that happens in my life is because the superintending of God has, you know, and so I'm not of myself. God is is the creator and the sustainer of this world. And some recognition of that helps me to get into the low place. I'm not for myself. You see this in Mary's life. She says, I'm your servant, God. I'm your servant. Do what you will with me. Okay? There's something about acknowledging the call on my life, which is to simply be a servant. Okay? I get so wrapped up in trying to jockey and position myself 
so that I can get what I want. And so many of the problems in my life come from that moment. But if I can dial it back and just say, you know what, God, I'm not here for me. Whatever you want to do with me, I don't have to control the situation, right? I'm not here for me. I'm your servant. Gets me into the low place. And then lastly, I don't exist by myself. In other words, I'm not the power that keeps me going ultimately. The Bible has this way of talking about life in the flesh or life by the spirit. And life in the flesh is when you're gripping your hands on the controls and you're trying to do everything your way and you're in charge and you're going to make it happen. That's what the flesh life is like. And the spiritual life is letting go and recognizing that if anything really is going to happen, if the Lord's going to build the house, if the house is going to be built, it's going to be built by the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, right? That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, is, is to remember that I don't accomplish these things by my strength. It's not by myself. It's by the, ultimately, the good things that are going to be accomplished are by the work of God in and through me. And just that little reminder to say, I'm not in charge of making all this happen. If something's going to happen, it's going to be because God moves in and through me. Helps me to step back and enter into the place of the low person. Now, I I realize this, this is, in some ways, it may seem really superficial. In some ways, it may seem overly deep. I don't know how you're experiencing this. But I would encourage you um, throughout this week, it's easy to remember. I want you just to to, to pause in moments as we prepare to to work through this season. We want to enlarge our capacity for receiving the the presence of God in our lives. Would you just consider, just take a try this week of reminding yourself that I I I am just a created being. That I'm... I'm not here for me. I'm here to serve God and to serve others. And I can't do that in my own strength. God has to work in and through me. And and by the way, some of you might be here this morning and you're searching for God. You're you're on a journey to say, well, I don't know if if God's out there. Um, The same thing applies to you. That if you want to know God, what Jesus says is, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's something about this poverty, this recognition of our, our... our humanity that we're made of dust that opens us to the infilling of God. And it might open you to the encounter with God for the first time. So I want to encourage you, if that's you, to embrace this journey as well. Just try it out and see. You know, the last two weeks, as I mentioned, two Sundays, we've had people talking about this power of the Spirit coming upon the church for this next season. And my prayer is that exactly that will happen. And I'm pretty sure that a big part of the way that happens is as we sink into the low place, individually and collectively, as we embrace the sweet and precious call to humility. So God, would you help us do just that? Thank you for modeling it for us. Thank you for embodying humility when you emptied yourself of all of the the trappings of divinity to take on human flesh and live as a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. To, To draw strength moment by moment to live in dependency upon the heavenly father. Jesus, you did that. And it was a model for us that we're called to do the same.
And we're such seemingly powerful people. We have so much. We've got resources. We've got skills. We've got aptitudes and competencies. And those keep us from depending on you so much of the time. So would you use this season to enlarge our hearts and help us to depend on you in a new and fresh way, in a a greater way, with more capacity for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.